Praise the Lord. We didn't forget the mamas. Come on. We didn't forget the mother. In a moment, I'm going to introduce my, my favorite mother, my beautiful wife. She's the most beautiful mother in the house this morning. <laughs> you know, she's probably the only Polynesian in the house on the island of Tonga. But ladies and gentlemen, before I share the word of the Lord that God laid in my heart, I, I, this morning when I woke up, I, I, I was thinking about you know, every one of us have been brought into this world by a mother. M mothers have a unique ability to give birth. But I think one of the most amazing mothers is the mother of our Lord. And one of the most amazing insights that she had was something that God wants to give us today. She was aware of God's presence. I honestly believe that as probably the greatest thing a mother could have is to be aware of the presence of God. Because if you're not aware of the presence of God, if God shows up, then you don't have access to what God can do. And I was thinking about this, that the fact that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was at a wedding that even wasn't hers. And Jesus was there, and they ran out of wine. Everybody say they ran out of wine. When I read that, something comes to my mind. They ran out of the Spirit. They ran out of what was needed. Come on. They celebrated they gave gifts away, but they didn't have what they really needed, and that's the Spirit of God. Come on. And it's interesting that Mary was the only woman that recognized the need for wine. And shouldn't the church recognize the need for the wine of the Spirit? Come on. But she understands something. She understands something very important. In this moment where they run out of wine, she goes to her son and asks Jesus, Jesus, we've ran out of wine. Now, I can tell you this. Jesus said this to her. He didn't even call her mother. He didn't even say, Happy Mother's Day. He says, Woman, what, it's not my time yet. I've been married 38 years, and there's a reason why I've been married 38 years. I've never addressed my wife as woman. Come on. <laughs> are, you hearing, are you hearing what I'm saying? That's a little bit dishonoring. And he says, Woman, it's not my time yet. Everybody say, it's not my time yet. In other words, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to live without wine at this wedding because it's not my time. But see, Mary had a promise. She had a prophetic word. She had a promise from God. And obviously, because right now, right now in this room, in, in our lives, you and I are many times governed by time. We're governed by time. 
But you have to understand, God is not governed by time. Because God lives in past, present, and future. Are you hearing me? All at the same time. Oh, come on. And Mary, even though Jesus said, it's not my time yet, Mary recognized, you're not just my son, you're God. Come on. You're God. And because you're God, you, you can step into this moment and do the miracle. Where in other words, she was the only person at that wedding that recognized the presence of God. How many mothers want to recognize the presence of God? How many mothers want to recognize the presence of God? Well, at that moment, when he said, it's not my time yet, he knew, she knew what he could do. He turned to the, she turned to the servants and gave the greatest advice any mother has even, any, given anybody. Just do what he says. Because you're in trouble when you don't do what he says. You're in trouble. And that's exactly what the servants did. They did what a mother said. <laughs> <laughs> and ended up doing what God said because then God said, bring, bring these vessels and fill them full of water and God turned water into wine. How many want to be aware of God's presence this morning? How many want to be aware of God's presence? Would you give my wife a hand as she comes? Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I believe Mary prophesied when she said, just do whatever he said. Amen? She did. She prophesied, and I believe God looked down. Oh, my goodness. Look at my daughter. She come in agreement with my word. She come in agreement with who I am and what I said, she knew, she accepted what I have spoken to her, that she will carry the Savior. She understand that. She come in agreement with what my word said. Therefore, I can't help but to step down and do a miracle on what she said. Amen? That's what God is looking for. For you and I come in agreement with what he said. Prophesy. Speak life. When you see a crisis, when you see a situation that does not display the, the, the will of God or the presence of God, then do something about it. That's what Mary did. This is not God's will that the church ran out of wine. This is, this is not God's will. That the churches operate without my presence. My daughter prophesied, speak life, prophesy to the situation. Therefore, I'm, I am going to step in and do a miracle. Amen? Praise God. Uh, Job 22, 28. John have a couple books out there talk about awakening the prophetic or how to develop a prophetic culture. Job 22, 28, it says, make a decision. Mary did not want the, the, the wedding 
lack of wine to make the decision. She made the decision. Amen? It says, make a decision and degree a thing. That's what she did. She made a decision. Man, I'm not going to let this wedding continue to be run out of wine. I'm going to make a decision. And then it says, degree a thing. She opened up her mouth. And she came to God. And she prophesied. And then the scripture said, make a decision and degree a thing. And then the light of God's favor will shine upon your ways. Amen? Do you want God's favor to shine on your situation? Then speak to it. Prophesy to it. Instead of just watching the problem, do the talk. Instead of just watching the crisis unfold itself. No. You make a decision, prophesy to it, step aside, let God step in and shine his favor. Amen? Hallelujah! Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to share a quick story before John come up. And, um, because I believe, I want to share, uh, because I believe that mothers, every time the scripture talk about, especially in the New Testament, talk about mothers, it means the church. And God loves the church. Amen. Uh, when I grew up, I may have shared this uh, before, but, um, but I felt like to share it real quickly. I grew up in a little island of Tonga, and when I grew up, I found out what happened to my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather was one of the very first born-again Christian in my little island. A missionary came from England, preached the gospel, and my great-grandfather accepted the Lord in his heart, and when he accepted the Lord in his heart, there was such a hunger, a passion, a desire in his heart to preach the gospel, ex, uh, preach the gospel in the island. So he went from village to village, uh, island to island, and preached the gospel. And when he did that, some of the false religious leader, leaders did not like it. It got so bad, the king found out about it, and the king got involved. They started persecuting my great-grandfather got so bad they tried to stop everything that what he's doing because he's not building hut from island to island a village to village to preach the gospel and it got so bad like what I said they persecuted him and uh, exiled my great-grandfather from his own island because he preached the gospel and my great-grandfather, along with my great-grandmother, with the children, got in the boat. They have no idea where they're going to go. In the ocean, many days, crying out to God, God, can you guide us, lead us where we're supposed to be? And I thought about this. Many times people walk out from serving God for lesser things than that. Here's my great-grandfather accepted Christ. He could have stepped back. God, is this what I got from accepting you as my personal savior, from advancing your kingdom here in our islands? Is this what I got? I got persecuted, exiled, kicked out from my own islands, own country, own land. And they were in the ocean many times. Finally, one day they sighted the island of Fiji. When they saw the island of Fiji, they went over there. My great-grandfather, along with his family, raised his family there. 
And the, the missionary from England heard what happened to my great-grandfather. He journeyed then into Fiji, found my great-grandfather, and took him to England, educated him, educated my great-grandfather. And guess what my great-grandfather did? He ended up translated the Bible into my language. And I believe that's why I'm standing up here this morning because someone, somebody in my bloodline pursued God, went after God with everything that he had. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. I believe uh, that's why, again, it's so important that we need to pursue God with everything we have. My great-grandfather, little did he know, now that his family, his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren got to read the Bible, got to understand the language, uh, the, the Bible in their own language. But what happened right after that, then he came back to the island, of course, because the Bible got translated into the language, came back over there, and the king started reading the Bible. And my great-grandfather over there went over there and started evangelizing again. And guess what? The king became born again. Hallelujah! Accepted Christ as his personal savior. Tra changed the whole island. The, on the seal, it says, God and Tonga is, my, is our inheritance. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. But I thought about this. That's why we have to understand revival and transformation of a country it depending on you and I pursuing God wholeheartedly. Amen. Listen, now, not only his family, his children, grandchildren got to understand the Bible in their own language, but now a whole nation, now a whole nation got to hear God's word and brought transformation. Why? Because somebody, someone pursued God with everything he have. Amen. Praise God. That's why I want to encourage you, parents, grandparents, please pursue God with everything that you have. Leave a legacy. Amen. Don't be get offended so easily for lesser things. Listen, the bigger things, there is a generation that need to know God. There is a nation there is a state, there is a nation need to know God. Need to, we need transformation. And that is depending, depending on you and I pursue God with everything that we have. Amen? Now, every year, um, I remember when I grew up, I was probably three, no, five or six years old. One of my uncle always come to the uh, island where my uh, grandparents lived and where most of my family lived. But my uncle lived in a main island in Tonga. And uh, he always come bring his children uh, so he can uh, play with us. All the cousins have, uh, uh, have fun together in the summertime. But until this one year, my, my uncle came and he brought this kid with him. And he introduced him to us that he's our cousin. And to be honest with you, I did not believe him. 
I always run away from him. And, because, and I, you know, no, I told him, no, he's not my cousin. He's not my cousin. Because I never seen him before. He looked like he's on 13 or 14. Dark, a black kid, um, big Afro hair. And I, I always run away from him. But then he kept saying, he's your cousin. I said, no, because I never seen him before. I know my cousins. And then um, until years later, when I became a young adult, then they came, I found out what happened. Uh, I mean, I found out who was that kid. And, but then my uncle, every year, he went to the Solomon Island with his wife as a missionary to those islands. And they work all the way up, up in the mountains where the cannibalism people lived. And they went over there and they worked there every year. They had a babysitter that helped them translate, helped them out with the language. And... Um, one year while they were there, they have a little baby. They have a son, five months old. And they woke up one morning. They couldn't find their son. So they looked everywhere, all over, could not find him. And finally they had the babysitter come and help them. Went up to the mountain that morning. And they walked into this little hut. And they found their son. But all they found was one of their, his little hand. It was very difficult, very hard on my uncle and my aunt. So right away, they packed up everything and moved back to my island, went back to Tonga. It was very hard on my aunt. So they stayed there for almost a year, went stay back in Tonga, trying to help my aunt to start feeling better. So right after my aunt got healed, the passion and the desire to preach the gospel in my uncle's heart never left him. And right after my aunt got healed, they were talking, you need to get back to the island. You need to go back to the Solomon Island. Because the love in their heart for God. Listen, when you love God so much, God will heal you. God will touch you. God will help you to think different, regardless of the turmoil of the crisis that you went through. So God healed them right away. And again, the passion and the hunger and the desire to see people got saved, it consumed, continued to consume my uncle, even my aunt. So guess what happened? My uncle went back, went back to the Solomon Island, 
continue to preach the gospel. The following year, guess what? Revival broke out. Hallelujah! In those mountains. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. And when the revival broke out up on those mountains, that family found out that family that stolen my cousins, murdered my cousins, ate my cousins. Guess what? They gave their firstborn child to my uncle and my aunt as a replacement. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. And that was the child that I was afraid of running away from. And let me tell you what, God is a faithful God. So while they were, while the kids were with them, teach them the language, went to school over there in my island, and then they educated him, and they wanted to advance his education. And guess what my family did? They sent him to New Zealand to advance his education, just like what the, the missionary did to my great-grandfather. Let me tell you what. When you love God, continue to pursue God, what you have done, it will continue to follow through a generation after generation. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Because that's exactly what my folks did. What they did to the, his name is Palakan. Oh, I wish I'd pull out his picture so it'd show it over there. He's an older man right now. <laughs> so uh, they um, sent him to uh, New Zealand, educated him. Right after he, he got his doctor, doctorate uh, degree, he came back to the island. And guess what my folks did? They sent him back to the Solomon Island as a missionary. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. So while he was there, he continued to work as a missionary, just like what his parents did, you know, in his own islands now. And again, the work of God continued to, to advance in the Solomon Island, and they choose him as the president of all the Methodist churches in the Solomon Island. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. And I just want to make this clear. The Methodist churches in the Solomon Island, they are full-on Holy Ghost Pentecostal churches. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So anyway, so a few, I mean, years ago, so I decided to go on and uh, find out what happened, you know, to Palakana and his family. I found out that two of his sons are missionary, one in Jordan and one in Turkey, ministering to the Muslim uh, countries and uh, reaching out the Muslim people, bring the, bringing them into the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. But the reason why I shared with you guys that story, I don't remember I shared that uh, story about Balagana here before, because of how important it is to God, the church, 
Amen. How important it is to God about the soul. Yes, I, yes, I know that my aunt and my uncle, they will see their beautiful son. Amen. They saw, I believe, I believe they already, uh, yes, they did already, uh, reunited in heaven but the what God wanted you and I to do here on earth to reach more souls for his kingdom amen because God we are serving a God he will work out everything for good for those that love the Lord amen hallelujah and to be honest with you I just last week I went on social media to try to keep up with my some of my cousins, what they're doing. I saw one of my cousins just build a huge church, Methodist church in Salt Lake City, in the heart of Salt Lake City, full on Pentecostal. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Ghost. And I saw, my goodness, they have a huge choir, children choir. It's just so beautiful. And many of my cousins, you know, uh, continue on to advance God's work, whatever country that God put them in. And I thought about it. Thank you, Jesus, for what my great, great, grand, I mean, just one great, for what my great grandfather have done. Little did he know that down the road, one of his great granddaughter will continue to pursue God, go after God, traveling from state to state, do the very same thing that he did. So that's why I want to encourage you. Pursue God with everything that you have. Whatever God have laid in your heart, whether you're in a business world, pursue God with it also. Amen? Use what God has given you to advance his kingdom wherever you add. Amen? Praise God. Give Jesus a big hand clap. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. I don't know. I, it, I've heard that story thousands of times, and it still gets, grips my heart. And if that, if that doesn't grip your heart, you need to get born again right now. If that doesn't light the flame in your heart uh, about the commitment to Christ. And Meliana didn't know what I'm going to preach about this morning. I want you to turn with me to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 3. I am not going to preach long because I know this is a special day that we're with family. But I am going to preach something that I believe is very, very important. I'm going to title this message, Stop This Storm. Everybody say, Stop This Storm. How many have ever been in a storm? Maybe you're in a storm right now. Maybe that, that you are in a financial storm, a relational storm, a storm in your family. Maybe you're a mother in a storm. But I do know that what happened to Jonah is very unique because I can relate to Jonah even though my name is John, I would probably say I'm more like Jonah than I am like John the Beloved. 
But in chapter 1, verse 3, I'm going to read from the New American Standard Version this morning, and this is what it says. And Jonah rose up to flee to Tarsus. Everybody say Tarsus. Now, before I go on, I'm going to have to tell you a story. Because for this message's sake, so you can track with me, when I use the word Tarsus, even though that was a geographical location in Spain, it was somewhere that Jonah wanted to go, wanted to flee to. I'm going to look at Tarsus from a different perspective. As you have known, uh, as we have shared the last couple of nights, Meliana and I started a church in Tucson, California. And because, I mean, uh, Tucson, Arizona, excuse me. I lost my states there for a second. I don't know if there's a Tucson, California, but Tucson, Arizona. But I will tell you this. Back last year, I, uh, when we started the church, like Meliana, I, I have never pastored in the 25 years of traveling, and I wanted to learn as much as I could. Because like I said, I, I honestly thought that, you know, pews just and chairs just miraculously came out of the ground. Come on. That churches just popped up with, without any effort, and I would just walk up to the pulpit, and people say amen and fall out and have revival. Come on. Because that's how we, I just thought that happened, you know. And so I'm learning all I can, and usually the way I learned is, as I would ask friends of mine that were, had very successful ministries that, what did you do? What did you do? And Meliana as well, because we wanted to glean as much as we could. So back last summer, I uh, walked into my, a friend of mine's church. In fact, I'll be there in a few weeks. And um, he took a church from 40 to 803 years. And so let me just tell you, so when I walked in that church, and I've been going to that church for 25 years because the previous pastor had passed on and the church, uh, when it hit a nosedive, and that's why they got down to 40 people, and then they, 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 they called one of the sons of the house, and he came back, and he's done a fabulous job. And so when I walked in that building, I want to tell you something. All of a sudden, the man of God, Stop thinking about what he was going to preach. Stop thinking about what he was going to prophesy. The man of God is now lusting after what this pastor has. I want 800 people. Not in, not, not in, in three years. I want it in three days. And so I'm looking at the ushers. I, hey, you know what I got caught up in? They actually had dim the lights and had smoke coming out of the altar. I wanted the smoke. Come on. I said, honey, let's buy a smoke machine. Come on. Of course, you guys are so anointed, you don't need the smoke machine, you know. It just comes out. Come on. 
So I'm looking at the smoke machine. The lights are flashing, you know, and and, and there's the, and it, it's like a concert. They dim the lights, you know, and everything. And they got their they got the people. Everybody's excited, you know. All the greeters and ushers have the most beautiful teeth, you know, were like fifty thousand dollars, like movie star teeth. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'm saying I want this church. Because I want to tell you about Tarsus. We have to be very, very careful, ladies and gentlemen, because Tarsus sometimes is in our imagination. The perfect church, the perfect people, all the bells and whistles. And that's what I was, that's what I walked in, in to look at. And so I was fleeing to Tarsus. But notice this. So after the service, we had three services that morning. And after the service, we sat down with a pastor, and then we said, hey, this is not enough. We need to get together during this week. And we spent five hours in his office. Because we want to know how you went from 40 to 800 in three years. Because we want to do the same thing. And so, I'll, please, what I'm going to tell you is what God spoke to me. I'm not implying that to everybody in this room. I'll just tell you what God said. So at the end of the five hours, he's telling me all about the systems they're doing and all the things they're doing. At the end of the five-hour meeting that we had with him, he goes into his office. We're sitting in the green room. He comes back out with a stack of five books. And this is what he tells us. John and Meliana... You read these books, and your church will grow. And I'll never forget what God said to me. He said, John, don't read that religious pornography. And I'm not putting the author down. I'm not putting the pastor down. That's what God spoke to me. Because listen to what the scripture says. But Jonah rose up to flee from Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. Everybody say the presence of the Lord. What is so amazing about Tarsus? What is so great about Tarsus? What is so great about other something? What is so great about Tarsus? He'd never been there. What is so amazing about Tarsus that you would want to leave the presence of God? Oh, come on, church. And because, ladies and gentlemen, we have a generation. Come on. We have a generation. But we, there's something that this church has. It doesn't matter if you're 80 or 100 or 200 or 300. But because if you don't have the presence of God, you don't have anything. Because Jesus says this. He said in the last days. Everybody say the last days. The sign you will see is the sign of Jonah. Everybody say the sign of Jonah. Now, usually when people interpret that, they, they, they miss this part because he said the sign of Jonah. And usually they think the fact, of that, the fact that Jonah was in the well three days, so the Son of Man was in the earth and got spit out a sign of resurrection. Well, that's true, but I want to tell you, all four Chapters, the entire book of Jonah is a sign. 
It's a sign that we need to become aware of. And the sign is this. Because the first sign in the book of Jonah is that there will be a generation that attempts to do church without the presence of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm, I don't want to do, I don't care if I got 80, or I don't, I don't really care if I got 500, I don't care, if, I don't care about the amount. I'm going after the presence of God. I'm going after the presence of God. I don't want to be a generation where you sit in here and do your hour, do your religious duty, and think you're sanctified. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because I will tell you right now what, 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 what God has shown me the last couple years and all our systems. And let, let me just tell you, I'm not against systems. We have systems in our church. We have structure. You got to have structure. You got to have system. But systems don't save people. Come on. The presence of God saves people. Come on. But when we put systems before presence, all we have is a gathering. We don't have a church. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? And what happens is that sometimes we can get so addicted to the systems that we forget the Spirit of God. Come on. And I can tell you this, with all our systems in America, with all the systems, look what happened. Look what happened. Are we changing the culture? Are we transforming cities? Come on. Are we turning cities upside down? We're not, because our systems don't do that. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Is there anybody in the house? Is there anybody? Lady, you want the Spirit of the Lord. You want the Spirit of the Lord inside of you. You want the Spirit of the Lord inside of you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because ladies and gentlemen, we need the Spirit of God on the inside of us. The Spirit of God to move on the inside of us. Because ladies and gentlemen, otherwise we just have a gathering. We got Bible college right here across the street. We, we got the most educated generation ever, theologically. But where is the presence of God? Come on. We've got all the insights. We've got all the books. Come on. But ladies and gentlemen, do we have the presence of God? He fled from God's presence. And when he fled from God's presence, listen to this. So we went down to Joppa. And found a ship. Everybody say, found a ship. Now, I will tell you this. I will tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. Every one of us in this room can find a ship going where we want it to go. If I want to go to the Caribbean, I can get on a ship. And we got all kinds of different styles of churches. If I want to go to a community church, I can get on that ship. If I, can go, if I want to go to a Methodist church, I can go on that ship. If I want to go to any kind of church, I can get on that ship and sail there. I can always find a ship going where I want it to go. But what happens if it's not going where God wants it? Because not every ship is going after the presence of God and not every ship is going after God's will. He found a ship which was going to Tarsus. Paid the fare. But they paid the fare. You know what I found out? I found out that disobedience is expensive. 
I don't know how many times I've heard Meliana's story about her cousin Pelicana. Every time I get teary-eyed, I just, it doesn't lose its, its impact. What would happen if her uncle didn't obey God to go back to the Solomon Islands? Then an entire nation, an entire people caught up in sin and darkness would not have been born again. Come on, because I got hurt. Are you hurting me? But he, he understands. Disobedience is more expensive than obedience. Because Jonah, it cost Jonah. It cost Jonah. It cost Jonah to pay. He had to pay the fare to go where he wanted to go. Paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. Now Jonah... At this moment, it's interesting that what happens, they set stale because the church, the church is now fleeing God's presence in the name of growth. Oh. In the name of church planning, in the name of doing this, in the name of systems, they're fleeing the very thing that we need the most to transform culture. Are you hearing me? How do I know that? Because we know that eventually Jonah goes to Nineveh, and you know what? He didn't even want to go there. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But we don't really know a lot about what he preached. All we know is that he walked around the, house, the, the town for three days and, and said, in 40 days I'm going to destroy this city. And guess what? The whole town, the whole city gets born again. It's arguably the greatest move of God in the Old Testament. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Which had nothing to do with Jonah and everything to do with the presence of God. And so now Jonah is headed in the opposite direction than God's presence. Let me just tell you right now, there's something we don't need to participate in. We need to get rid of Tarsus. We need to get our ideas of what church is supposed to look like, and we need to get back to the raw presence of God, ladies and gentlemen. That's what Lincoln, Illinois needs. Come on. Now, with that, with that, what happens? Well, obviously, Jonah's in disobedience. However... His disobedience affects everybody on the ship. See, that is why I understand my disobedience to the will of God doesn't just affect me. It affects everybody around me. And so what happens is a storm breaks out. Now, I'm going to get a little political here for a second. Because I need to. How many know the last couple of years there's been a storm? A storm in our culture, storm in our government, storm in, in, in areas, or even a storm globally. Before we put the responsibility on the government and run the responsibility on healthcare officials or leaders or presidents or one group or Democrats or Republicans, we need to look in the mirror. Could it be that the church has not been in its proper place? Oh, come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Could it be that the church hasn't been doing what they need to be doing? Come on. Because we've been so busy building our mega churches and our mega ministry, we forgot the presence of the Lord. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So busy with our own lives, so busy just going around our own business that, that literally what we, all we cared about, Tarsus, we didn't care what mattered to God. And so here that's the storm breaks out. This, this massive storm breaks out on the ship because everybody, every one of us is on this ship together. Come on. And notice what happens here. All the sailors were afraid. Haven't you seen this? That there's so many people afraid. And each cried out to his own God. Now listen to this. That's not too far from our world today. People are in a storm. The pro-life and pro-choice. That's a storm. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And they're crying out to their own God. Come on. To stop the storm. Whatever side of the political fence you're on, crying out to your own God. Because you know what? Politics doesn't deliver people. The presence of God does. People are crying out to their own gods and nothing is happening. The God of money, the God of sexuality, the, 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 the God of doing my, my God of self. Nothing is happening. They're crying out to their own God and nothing is happening. And notice this. So they're crying out to their own God, all these sailors. Listen to this. And they threw their cargo into the sea. Say that. And they threw their cargo into the sea. Now, I know this. I know this to be true. That part of those sailors' responsibility and those men on the ship was to deliver the cargo. And now, because of the storm, ladies and gentlemen, and because of the severity of the storm and their life, their life is at stake, they end up having to unload their cargo, so now, guess what? Jonah's disobedience is affecting the economy. Church, we blame, we blame the president, we blame the Congress about the economy, but what about our disobedience? Come on, oh, oh, come on. are you hearing what I'm saying? Because we're the, we're the keepers, come on. We're the keepers. First of all, Jesus said this, Jesus said this in Luke 19, verse 10. He says, I give you authority. Everybody say, I give you authority. Everybody say, I give you authority. Now, what part, I, I don't know about you, but if Jesus is going to give me something, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. As I give you authority, notice what he says, to trample on serpents and scorpions. Come on. So when your pastor calls you up, it's not a religious thing that we do every time we gather. It's so that we trample on the powers of darkness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I feel like preaching right now. See, my sister's standing up because if it's in the black church, you're already running. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because we forgot who we are. We forgot that we're supposed to trample on these things. Those things aren't supposed to bite us, sting us, or harm us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're supposed to trample on them. 
I've given you authority. To, that means you can trample on COVID-19. You can trample on cancer. You can trample on blindness. You can trample on demons. You can trample on all sickness and disease. You can trample on doubt. To trample on serpents and scorpions. Why does he use the, the analogy of serpent and scorpions? I'll tell you why. Because it isn't the bite that kills them. It's the venom, the poison. So here's what happens. You know why people are not walking in their God-given authority? They're paying too much attention to the poison of the culture. <laughs> and so it's poisoning them to tell them they don't have authority. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And God today is going to give somebody your authority back. Come on. Somebody's going to take your authority back. Come on. Somebody's going to take your ground back. Somebody's going to take your territory back. Somebody's going to take your, a mother's going to take your son back. A, a mother's going to take your daughter back. We're going to get our families back. Because, oh, Jesus. Poison. I'll give you an example of poison. You know, my daughter was once, she's, I think my daughter's 34 now. She was once 17. And when she was 17, she knew better than mom and dad, of course. Because when you're 17, you know it all, you know. And so, you know, I mean, we went through a little battle with her, and we felt, okay, she, she probably needs to see some counseling. And so we got, we got some Christian counseling, you know, because we, we believe in counseling. And maybe another voice, rather than mom and dad, would, would begin to help her. So at the end of the, a few sessions that the lady did with, with her, after, after talking with the lady, I was thinking, I think you need counseling. You know, she told, she told Meliana, she says, um, Mrs. Harkey, um, I've done all I can with your daughter. I think that she needs to go see a clinical psychologist. So they made an appointment, and I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I, uh, I had just driven to the Teen Challenge in Riverside, California, and I was pulling up the parking lot, and I get a call from my wife. She says, honey, I, we just got done seeing the, the clinical psychologist, psychiatrist, excuse me, and, and they, 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 they they put this on Leilani, and they said that Leilani is bipolar, and they want to medicate her. And so I realized at that moment that I need to walk in my authority, because that's not the destiny of my daughter. My daughter is not bipolar. Come on. And this is exactly what came out of my mouth. I said, honey, you can't medicate selfishness. But we're letting, the, we're letting the world tell us what to put in our kids. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I've had enough. Come on. I've had enough. You ain't putting that in my daughter. My daughter's a child of God. She's a prophetess of the Lord. Come on. She was the head and not the tail. Now, now you may think she's bipolar, but maybe she's just going to be a, a woman that knows who she is. Come on. I'm not going to let you put, I told my wife, get her out of there right now and never go back there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we never got filled the prescription. Are you hearing what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen? And guess what? My daughter is completely fine. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. 
And so he says, she's a prophetess. She travels all over the country. But what if I'd have medicated her at 17? Some of us create the storms by our disobedience to the voice of God. Sometimes we create the storms in our kids because we got a storm in our head. Now, I can tell you this. When he said that, he said, I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And then he says something. And over all power of the enemy. Everybody say all, all. Power, power over, over. the enemy. What part of all don't we understand? Now, I'm not saying that I am standing here and I'm not, I have an exemption or immunity to spiritual warfare. All of us get hit by stuff. And, and but I understand something. At the end of the day, I've been given all power for whatever attack you're bringing on me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you attack my family, I have the power to overcome it. If you attack my finances, I have the power of overcoming. In other words, I have the power over every storm. See, that sometimes I wonder if the church really, really understands its power. See, we're too busy reading church growth books on how to do church rather than getting to the altar and letting God put an anointing on us so that we carry the presence of God. Over all power of the enemy, and then he says... And nothing shall hurt you. Everybody say, nothing shall hurt you. You know what I've discovered? Church people are fragile. Really fragile. I, I didn't know that until I started pastoring. I thought they were strong and buff. Fragile, bad. Fragile to the point that if you say something or even look at them, oh, he doesn't like me. No, I'm discerning what's on you. And I want to see you walk in freedom and experience the presence of God. I'm not mad at you. And I hear this all the time. Because Jesus said, nothing shall hurt you. And I hear this all the time. Church hurt. She was hurt by the last pastor. Oh, the children's pastor. Pastor tried to cast the devil out of my son when he's bipolar. He's got it. You've been medicating your kid instead of casting that thing out. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You yelled at the children's pastor because, because he acted like a demon inside that children's church throwing chairs all the time. Come on. And you said he, do, he doesn't have a demon? Oh, yes, he does. But you think he's an angel. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> and then, oh, I got hurt. Church hurt. I hear it all the time. Can I tell you something? I'm not going to deny that the hurt is real. I'm not going to deny the emotions of the pain. I'm not going to say that it doesn't exist. But I am going to tell you this. If you're hurt this morning, then you're not walking in your authority. 
Because Jesus said nothing shall hurt you. That is why an uncle can have a child eaten and go back to the Solomon Islands because nothing shall hurt you. Come on. There is nothing powerful enough for me to discredit God. There's nothing powerful enough for me to deny the Lord. There's nothing more powerful enough for me to say I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, when someone gets hurt by the church and says, I don't want to go back to the church, then guess what? Then guess what they've done? They've made people their idol. Come on. They made actually the organization their idol instead of getting on their face and worshiping Jesus so he can impart authority to you. Oh, Jesus. So what happens? Jonah, the church's disobedience, I believe is affecting the economy. But listen to this. Verse 5, I'm toward the end of verse 5. It says, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Did you hear our brother's prophetic word? I did. I, I filmed it. Because the reason I filmed it is I'm going to show my pastor friends where people have the excuse, I don't want to prophesy. And here's somebody in his condition walks up on a Sunday morning in a wheelchair and speaks the word of the Lord. And you know what he said? One of the words he said was the word complacency. If you heard that, I heard that word. I distinctly heard that sound, complacency. So notice this. Notice this. He didn't know what I was preaching this morning. Notice where the location of Jonah in the middle of the storm. Jonah isn't fighting. Jonah isn't using his authority. Jonah isn't walking his calling. He's not walking in his anointing. He's asleep. Oh, come on. He's asleep dreaming about his mega church. Come on. Dreaming about his own vision. Dreaming about what he's going to do. He's asleep while a storm is happening. Come on. I can tell you right now, if COVID-19 didn't wake the church up, I don't know what's going to wake the church up. Come on. Do we need a third world war to wake up the church? What do we need to wake? Because God is committed to waking the church up. Come on. Because the church has been below deck, but sleep below deck in the bottom of the ship for far too long. It's time to wake up and stop the storm. So the prophetic is asleep when they need the prophetic to speak into the environment. And so now, guess what happens? So nothing is changing. I mean, the storm is getting worse. They're still trying to unload cargo. And I won't read it, but it's there. That the captain of the ship, you know, needs all hands on deck. All hands on deck. Turn to your neighbor and say, all hands on deck. Not all hands was just on Sunday. Not all hands just on Mother's Day. All hands on deck now, today, every single day. All hands on deck. Because there's a storm. So the captain goes down, goes down, and goes, wakes Jonah up. 
And I'm in trouble if the world has to wake me up. Do I need the world to wake up my passion? And so the captain wakes the prophet up and says, hey, who are you? Where are you from? Because we've been crying out for God, our gods for hours. And we notice you've been asleep this whole time. Who are you? Who do you serve? Who's your God? And all kind of questions. And Jonah says, I'm the prophet of the Lord. And I'm fleeing from God's presence. And, and, and God is the cause of this storm. Come on. And the captain goes bazonkers. Come on. It even makes him more scared. So turn with me to verse 11. Because I want you to see this. And I don't want you to forget what is being said. It says, And since the storm, I'm reading from the New Living now, since the storm was getting worse all the time. Let me tell you this. They're trying to stop the storm, but it's actually getting worse. I appreciate their willingness to want to stop the storm, but when it gets worse, obviously it's not working. Come on. Because the world is trying to stop a storm when the church is sitting in the pew asleep. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because, ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand this. You're not just revivalists. You're not just prophets. You're solutionists. We're called to bring a solution to the storm. The reason we've been born, the reason we've been in this world at this time in human history is because God divinely chose us to be alive at this point of history and not, not to complain about the storm, gossip about the storm, whine about the gas prices. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're here to stop the storm. Come on. The church is here to stop the storm in families, to stop the storm in, in school, to stop the storm in the people's lives. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's why we're here at this time in history. And I can tell you right now that the systems aren't going to stop the storm. Our knowledge is not going to stop the storm. Our gatherings are not going to stop the storm. What's going to stop the storm when you and I are obedient to the presence of God? Are you hearing what I'm saying? And since the storm, it says in verse 11, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, listen to this, they asked him, so they asked the prophet, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Because they finally come to the conclusion, you're responsible If I've got all authority, then I'm responsible. Come on. Over all power of the enemy, then that makes me responsible. Now, here, there's the difference between being guilty and responsible. We're not guilty, and many of you in this room are not guilty for what's going on globally or what's going on in your country, your city, or even in your home. You're not guilty. But every one of us are responsible. And to neglect your responsibility is to say no to the voice of God. And so they understand something that, that, that Jonah 
is responsible for this storm and they go to Jonah and say, Jonah, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Because the church has the solution to every storm. Oh, come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you realize that this church, within the context of the people right here, this 80 or to 100 so people that are in this room counting our children and the stuffed animals. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? Is that we are, we are responsible for the storm. Come on, we, we can bring a solution to the storm if we want to. Because there's storms in all kinds of communities in the state of Illinois. Come on. But we need to stop. There's storms even in our own house that need to stop. There's storms even in our own family that need to stop. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What should we do to you to stop the storm? Now, how many want to stop the storm? How many want to stop the storm? How many really want to stop the storm? Well, it was prophesied and it was sung this morning. I'm going to wrap this up. This is what he says. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation now. Jonah says, throw me into the sea. That's what he said. Now, I am going to refute something because if you were to go to the Bible college, they would probably tell you that Jonah wanted to commit suicide. I don't believe that. He's a prophet of God. I don't believe he wanted to kill himself. I believe, because I'm not going to throw Jonah under the bus anymore. I believe that Jonah wanted to stop the storm. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when we usually when, when they teach the book of Jonah to our children, they talk about Jonah being swallowed by the whale. That's a great story. But Jonah wasn't just swallowed by the whale. He was swallowed in God's will. Are you hearing me? See, do you know what it means to be born again? To be born again means I'm swallowed in the will of Jesus. And if you're not swallowed in God's will, you'll probably need to get recommit your life to Jesus. Because what he was saying is, is God, because Jonah didn't know that there was a whale waiting for him. Jonah had no idea that God's going to send a big fish and swallow him. He had no idea. All he knew that God threw me overboard. So what does that mean? Basically what he's saying is, God, throw me into your will. Throw me into your purpose. Throw me into your presence. Throw me into your word. Throw me into your promise. Throw me into what you want me to do. Oh, come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because on this Mother's Day, God is saying something to faith assembly that God wants to raise up men and women that will be abandoned. Throw me overboard into your will, God. Where nothing else matters. He says, throw me, throw me into the sea and says, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. In other words, you throw me into God's will and the storm will stop because I'm the one on this ship it's been given authority by his grace. And ladies and gentlemen, what happened? 
They didn't want to do it, but they had run out of options. Because here's the problem why we don't, we aren't abandoned to God's will. We have too many options in America. And what's going to happen? I think that sometimes what God is going to do in his grace and his love for us in, in his, in his, to make us holy and like his son, that he's going to get rid of all our options. Well, the only option we have is, God, I'm going to submit to your will and surrender to your will and your will alone because that's the only thing that's going to stop the storm. Are you hearing me? Because let me just tell you, you may be in a storm in your marriage. You may be in a storm in your family. You may be in a storm with the relationships in your life, and you're trying to solve it. Nothing wrong with reading. Nothing wrong with listening to podcasts. Nothing wrong with gleaning. But let me just tell you, could it be that God will stop the storm if you're willing to just completely abandon yourself to God's will? Because I thought about this. There could have been a storm in Meliana's aunt and uncle. Talk about a storm. How do you emotionally, how do you emotionally and just, how do you emotionally get through the fact that your son was taken by a cannibal tribe and eaten? Are you hearing me? And not lose your mind and get bitter. God, is this what I get for, for giving myself and becoming a missionary? That I get, that this what happens? And here I had somebody that was responsible and that person was irresponsible. And in the middle of the night, they come into the hut and take the little boy and, and, and use him as a demonic ritual and actually eat him. How do you conquer that storm, ladies and gentlemen? How do you overcome that? Because I don't care how smart we are in our counseling or our psychology, because drugs don't take that away. Come on. How do you not become an addict? How do you not lose it? How do you not go crazy? Come on. It's because there were two people in Beliana's family that were absolutely abandoned to the will of God. Because until we get abandoned to the will of God, we can never fully be healed. Come on. But when you're abandoned to the God's will, when you're abandoned to God's will, you understand something. Do I believe that the taking of the son was demonic in nature? Absolutely. Was it demonized? Were they demon-possessed? Absolutely. What was it? Why did God happen? Uh, you know what? I can't answer every question. But what I do know, that all things work together for good, that those that love God and are called according to his purposes, are you hearing what I'm saying? It may look bad at the moment, but see, Here's what it, here's why it says, says that all things work together for good for those that love God, not those that don't love God. Oh, everything will work out good. You don't love God. You gossip, you get upset, you come one, you come once a month, you just come on Mother's Day, you don't love God. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You that means you love God every day. Come on, 20, you wake up loving God, you go to sleep loving God. You're loving God in your dreams. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You love God all the time. It's the lovers of God that things turn. Well, come on. Why do you think it turned around for her aunt and uncle? Because they love God. Come on. 
that, that the family gets saved, gets miraculously saved, and they get convicted, and they don't do that demonic ritual anymore, and they hand their little baby to Meliana's uncle, and that's our son. We're giving for you to raise. We're giving up our firstborn child as a gift to you. Why, why do you think Jonah, oh, I mean, not, not Jonah, but Job overcame, come on, the onslaught of the Satan, the onslaught of his friends, the onslaught of what he didn't understand, because at the end of the day, his relationship with God, oh, come on, he loved God in the middle of his suffering, and God turned the whole thing around. Can I give God a shout of praise right now? Because when Jonah was thrown overboard, exactly what he prophesied, because I honestly believe this. I still have hope for America. In fact, I have hope for all the nations of the earth. Because the Bible says that the nation is my, our inheritance. The nations of the earth. I realize there's corruption and there's evil and there's demonic things. I, I, I get that. I get that. There will always be that until Jesus is on the throne on the earth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But I do know this. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to abandon myself to God's will. And here's what's going to happen. The storm is going to stop. And he got thrown overboard. And guess what happened? Peace. Peace. As I can tell you, you know why people aren't at peace? They're not in the will of God. They're not in the will of God and they have no peace. So they turn to sex and drugs and alcohol and entertainment, whatever it might be, because they want a peace in the name of decompression. You know, tomorrow, I'm going to have a day off. And I'm going to decompress. You know how I'm going to decompress? In the presence of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In the presence of God. Because it's only Him that can refill me. Come on. It's only Him that can heal me. It's only Him that can rescue me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And they threw Him overboard. And there was peace on the water. And every one of those men on that ship got on their knees and worshiped the God of Jonah. They all got born again. <laughs> oh, come on. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Give God a shout of praise in the house right now. Give God a shout of praise in the house. How many want to stop the storm? How many want to stop the storm?